This morning, I get to continue a series that we started a number of weeks ago as we focus in and get to know the very, very spicy and always festive Old Testament character of Elisha. Elisha. And as we get to know this character, uh, we are going to be forced to ask the question, is the Bible real? Like, does this belong in the fiction section of the library? And uh, if the stories we're reading are true, then are the songs we're singing true? Is the God of these stories the same God? And if he is the same God, is it possible that maybe our categories and our compartments have closed him in when he may want to do more and more incredible things in our time and in our lives than we've possibly made room for? Is it possible he's still the God of miracles who still wants to do incredible things in our midst? So we are going to uh, spend some time looking at one of the most famous childhood stories if you happened to grow up in the church and around the Bible. Certainly the most famous Elisha story. And uh, if you've never heard the story we're about to uh, look at, I just again envy you all to have fresh eyes and to experience some of the truths of the Bible for the very first time. Um, If you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. If you don't have a copy, the verses will show up on the screen um, in front of you. And as always, we're going to read a little bit of this story and then we're going to pause and make some observations as we work our way through and become a little bit more acquainted with this character named Elisha. And more than that, the God of the impossible who called him to this Mission. So, 2 Kings chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. So, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, it opens up with this raving introduction of a mega celebrity by the name of Naaman. Uh, in this section of scripture, the author is reaching for words to try and portray just how epic this individual was in his World. He carried superhero status. He is the leader of the military forces of the Arameans. And uh, this dude, he did not have the foggiest idea how to lose a war. Um, his hands went up apparently and they stayed there. He is a mastermind on the battlefield with a million and one ways to defeat your army for breakfast. Uh, His boss, the king of Aram, just thinks the world of this guy and will give him the world if he wants it on account of the victories that he has delivered to this nation. When this dude's chariot comes riding through town with his posse and his entourage, oh, you better believe traffic stops and everyone starts to whisper, there goes Naaman, there goes Naaman. In other words, this is what famous looks like. 
And just as we're starting to, to fawn over, you know, the famous and the fortunate, you know, as we tend to do, we fawn over the, you know, the, the fabulous, which is what Instagram is for, right? It's to portray these pictures of the most epic people living the most epic lives. And just as we're starting to fawn and fall over ourselves, the author does what the Bible often does, which is reveal the unseen side of the glamorous story. And the Bible loves to do that to all of us, just as we present ourselves filtered to everybody so they can think a certain way of us. The Bible is no problem revealing the unseen side, which is usually where the silent struggle lives. And that's exactly what the author does, right? Like right after stacking this superstar resume, the author reveals the unseen side of Naaman's story. Yeah, but he had leprosy. Leprosy. Uh, At some point, this beast of a man had um, contracted leprosy, this disease that affected the nerve endings beneath the surface of the skin. And it often starts to present in um, sores on the skin um, and oftentimes um, discoloration that would become evident and spread over the body. Oh, but the most terrifying aspect of this particular disease was that it would cause numbness in the extremities of the body, which is a deadly situation to be in. Because now it means if I stub my toe, I may not feel it. If I bruise my shoulder, I may not feel it. If I burn my hand, I may not feel it. And so its patients started to experience um, these infections that would often lead to um, amputation and life as they know it would be. Over, and Naaman had leprosy. Now, um, from all evidence in this story, at this point, uh, Naaman's case of leprosy was pretty tame. It, it wasn't a particular health risk to him, but it was hazardous for him professionally, because you cannot be. The most daunting and intimidating warrior on the face of the planet and present any kind of weakness. Which is exactly what would have started to happen to him. If people start to find out that you're a little bit on the sickly side, you stop being so scary. If you stop being so scary, you stop being so intimidating. You lose a sense of respect and your rivals and enemies will come after you and you are done. And Naaman, he knows that this is his situation. At this point, what he's experiencing is discoloration on his skin That's showing up in blotchiness that's starting to spread over the rest of his body. And he knows this is going to get out and this is going to be bad news. How long until this mega warrior cannot feel his hand and can no longer wield the weapon of war? He's getting weaker. So, this superhero of a man has a little kryptonite on his skin and it's starting to spread and so is the word. Verse number two. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to a mistress, if only my master would see the prophet Elisha, who is in Samaria... He would cure him of his 
leprosy. Naaman apparently had these highly skilled um, bullies who would run these international raids, invading weaker countries and just taking whatever they want. And on one particular um, mission, they abducted a young girl from Israel, ripping her from her family against her will, and they forced her to become the slave serving Naaman's wife. When this slave girl, who I just don't think we um, say enough about, superhero, if you ask me. When she becomes aware that her perpetrator of a boss has developed this concerning skin condition, this little unsung hero, she doesn't say, well, good, I hope he dies a slow death in light of what he's done to me and what he did to my mother's heart. She's moved with compassion, apparently, and tells Mrs. Naaman, listen, if he goes to see God's prophet back home, he will get all fixed up. Naaman hears about this and he is all in. I mean, what other option does he have at this point? Naaman knows enough to know there is no single cure for the disease of leprosy. What other option does he have? What's the worst thing that could happen? There is nothing he can do or the king can do or anyone else can do To stop this disease from spreading and shutting him down. So he's like, bet, I'm in. Verse number four. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I'll even send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Pretty much enough to buy the country of Israel. This was a, um, it was intended to boost diplomatic relations between the two kings um, to pave the way for the favor that was about to be asked of the king. And more than that, this was revealing just how valuable this warrior was to the king of Aram, that he was willing to do all of this on his behalf. Seated on the throne in Israel, we assume is King Joram, who we met uh, a number of weeks ago. And when he sees what Naaman brought with him, his eyes get big on account of this Bezos money. Verse number six. The letter that Naaman took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant. Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Uh, say uh, what? So Joram, I imagine, he goes from elation to like, my life just broke a little bit just now. And all of a sudden, the only thing that is greater than the present that he got from this king was the pressure he now felt from his powerful neighbor. I just want you to heal my superstar skin condition. Thank you very much. Joram freaks out. He has a royal meltdown of epic proportions. Check this. Verse number seven, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter part, he tore his robes and he said, am I God? Am I God? 
Can I kill and bring back to life? Am I God? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king goes into full panic mode. The king of Aram, he is trying to provoke me into going to war with him so he can destroy us. This is not okay. I see what he's doing. He gives me these gifts that he knows I cannot afford to repay. And then he makes this demand that he knows I cannot possibly pull off. He knows I'm not God. Which is so interesting that Joram worships all of these other gods except when he's in crisis and he acknowledges the real God. I'm not that God. I can't do anything to heal his superhero enforcer. Because to Joram, healing Naaman's leprosy would be as impossible as raising someone from the dead. He's like, I can't do that. I'm not God. He reads this note and he interprets it to mean heal my guy or die. My guy. And so he starts ripping his clothes in this full panic and despair. Verse number 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Let's go. Elijah's like, why are you ruining perfectly nice clothes? Send him to me. This guy with the incurable disease, send him to me. This guy with the impossible situation, Elisha says, send him to me. What a crazy contrast. You have on one side King Joram talking about, don't you put that on me. Don't you put this on me. And on the other side, you have Elisha talking about, send it to me. (laughs) Bring it to me. Don't you put that on me. Send it to me. Which is a perfect time to pause and ask the question, which one are you? I just ask the questions. Which one are you? Don't you put that messy, and don't you put that impossible situation on me. Don't you bring that to me. Or are you like impossible, messy situation? Send it to me. I'm curious to know which one are you? In the face of messy stories and impossible situations and incurable diseases and major crises and shattered pieces of broken lives. In the face of those kinds of things, which one are you? Mm -mm, Do not bring that anywhere near me. Or are you team, bring the impossible situation to me. Um, 
I found this so striking. Because, remember, uh, the nation of Israel are God's chosen people. And they're God's chosen people and they've been appointed to represent God by putting his power and his glory on display to the nations. And called to lead these people is who? Right, the king of Israel seated on the throne. It's his job to lead a movement of people who are called to represent the glory and the power of God. But as power tends to do, power has corrupted Israelite king after king after king after king after king. And after a while, all these kings apparently care about is having power and staying and clinging onto their power. And they've lost sight of experiencing and representing the power of the God who put them there in the first place. So much so that by the time we step into this scene, it is sad. King Joram is looking at an impossible situation and he is saying, Don't you, why on earth would you bring into my presence an opportunity for the God of impossible things to put his glory and power on display? Don't you put that on me. Don't you put that on me. He has forgotten who he is and what he was called to do. And then you have Elisha on the other hand who remember he is a prophet and he is called to represent the God of the universe by putting his glory and his power on display. And his response is, this is a perfect stage for God to show up and for this guy to know there is a God and his people are still alive and well in Israel. Bring it to me. And I'm just asking, which one are you? Are you team Joram? Don't you put that on me. Or are you team Elisha? Bring it to me. Because remember, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, make no mistake about it. You are part of a chosen nation. You have royal blood running through your veins. The spirit of the living God at work in you. Why? So that you can represent God by showing off his glory and his power in the world around you. I'm just asking, have you forgotten who you are and what you've been called to? In the face of the most messy and broken and impossible situations, I'm just curious to know, is your response perfect opportunity for me to do the very thing that I've been called to do, which is to put the glory and the power of the great God on display? Is that you? Or are you like, "Mm mm-mm, keep that away from me? Have you forgotten what you've been called to do? And oh, by the way, please do not even try and be a smarty McChurchy pants and tell me like, no, 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 I've been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will look you straight in your cornea face and I will tell you, you don't believe that. You can't possibly believe that. 
and be intimidated by impossible and messy situations. Mm-mm. Called to share the gospel? You don't believe that. Come on. Here's a quick quiz, in case you're wondering. Um, let's assume there are degrees of difficulty. Let me ask, which is more difficult? For Jesus to heal someone of their leprosy, or for Jesus to save someone from their sins? For the leprosy, Jesus doesn't even have to get up off of his throne. He can just speak the word and leprosy is gone. But to save someone from their sins, he has to descend the throne and put on human flesh and suffer and bleed and die in it in order to provide forgiveness. I'm just saying to you, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are sharing the most impossible miracle of them all. And I'm just saying to you, if you tell me you have faith to believe and share the gospel then surely your faith to believe that God can do impossible things and wants to do impossible things through you. Unless, of course, you were just talking about the gospel as a safe cover in the event that he might not do it. But hey, listen, the gospel happens in secret, so no one knows whether we failed or whether we succeeded. So it's a little safer to talk about the gospel. But as far as these impossible, messy, broken situations, don't you put that on me. We just want to share the gospel of Jesus. I'm telling y'all, if Jesus can save people, he can heal leprosy. I'm just saying. If we really believe that, we will believe this. If we're really about that, we will be about bring it to me. Perfect opportunity for God to put his glory on display as he loves to do. I'm just asking, which one are you? This is how I get so carried away and then we end up going long. I'm getting back to what we wanted to talk about. If the Warsaw community brought messy and broken and impossible situations to the doors of the church, would we panic or would we perk up? Are we intimidated by impossible or do we invite it because we remember who we are and who called us and we remember that impossible situations are the stage on which God loves to show off. Does any part of you truly believe that? Bring them to us and they will know the church of Jesus is alive. And well, I'm asking this really matters. It's not just a cute question to talk about in church. This really matters and it reveals what I most believe about God's ability and my assignment. And if I don't want and welcome the greatest despair and impossibility, I might have forgotten who I am. And in that case, man, it concerns me a little bit that we're going to fall in love with the perks 
of the position of royalty, of being God's kids, but we want nothing to do with the pressure and the messiness of it all. And we, like the kings in Israel, will become like a corrupt club of kings and queens. Oh, we will want to hold on to the power. We want to hold on to the privileges. We're going to want to hold on to this. Oh, you better believe we will rally and we will fight for our religious rights. And oh, we will fight to hang on to our tax exemption. But don't you put that impossible situation on me. Elisha's like, bring it to me. And I pray that the cry of this church will be all. There's no human answer. Bring it to us. Not because we're special, but because we represent the God of impossible things. And if there is brokenness and devastation and impossibility and helplessness in the world, where else should people want to go except to the people who say they represent the God of impossibility? Never should we be saying, keep that away from me. I don't have the resources or the stuff for that. I don't know what to do with it. True. But we rep the one who does. Verse number nine. So Naaman uh, went with his horses and chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha, he sent a messenger to the door to say to Naaman, um, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. King Joram is like, Thank goodness for, for Elisha. Send them to mission point. This is the second time, by the way, that Elisha E-Money has bailed Joram out of a bit of a pinch. Um, the Bible is the best. Okay. So, when Captain Aaron America, he shows up to Elisha's house. Uh, <laughs> this is just good stuff. He rolls up and, um, you know, with his, uh, his squad, like his entourage, and they, they roll out the red carpet to lead to the door so he doesn't get his little Louis Vuitton, you know, flip-flops dirty. And, um, and then he beckons, he, he, he sends his uh, designated knocker to go knock at the door. Dude knocks at the door, and the door opens, and a man stands in the doorway, and, you know, the guy starts like, um, you must be Elisha. This is Naaman the Great, chief of the armed forces of Aaron, the undefeated. I'm going to stop you right there, sir. First of all, uh, no, nah, <laughs> I'm not Elisha. Uh, uh, Mr. E, though, um, he sent me out here to tell y'all, um, uh, name, name, name one, one of y'all with a skin thingy. Uh, he said... Um, you guys may want to just get up into your, your tricked out buggy and then just go down to uh, the, the Jordan River. And if, if your boy over here, if you, sir, if you don't mind, just, just strip and dip seven times, you know, pop, 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 you know, <laughs> and, then, and then y'all will be good. All right, thanks. Take care. How dare you? Do you know who this... Hello, hello, he's gone. That's it. The Bible is hilarious to me. This is funny stuff. What? 
I, okay, I'm not being super judgy, but I'm just saying I cannot see how Elisha had any friends. Like this dude was a certified trip. I mean, Naaman scares the living bejesus out of King Joram. Elisha won't even get up off the couch to come to the door and have a meet and greet. This is the, the most powerful military guy on the planet. This is amazing to me. He doesn't show up to like meet him and you could network opportunity and you get a, get a selfie for the gram, you know, and just, just build. This could be good for you. Um, Elisha, man, he just didn't apparently care too much about any of this stuff. This is funny to me. This cracked me up. Um, and it reminded me, by the way, we are too derailed by our commitment to impressing the most impressive people. This is the second time we've seen Elisha responding, right? To the most powerful influential folks. And his response is just the same. He is too impressed to be impressed. He is just so compelled by the God who's called him that he's not trying to flatter or get in good with anybody, which often makes us dilute the message and starts treating certain people a certain way and other people not a certain way. And we get up to the door for some people and not for other people. Elisha was too impressed to be impressed. I bet you in his mind is like, sir, no offense to you, but one time um, I literally watched a chariot that was more fire than your chariot going up to heaven I feel like I'm too impressed to be impressed with any of y'all I love this and that's what allows Elisha to simply deliver what God has called him to deliver without trying to network or make friends because that's not the assignment And so he tells this powerful guy, listen, man, you got to go baptize yourself seven times in the Jordan and you be good. Oh, Naaman is not happy. He's offended. Verse 11, Naaman went away angry and he said, okay, I thought he would at least come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. And um, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And then he just starts to spiral. Verse number 12. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus where we're from, better than all the waters of Israel? I mean, if I was going to wash somewhere, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a Rage. (laughs) Naaman has all manner of lists of all the reasons why this is unacceptable to him. He's out. He's taking his stuff and he's going home. He didn't come to me. Everybody comes to me. And he didn't do the abracadabra thing that our, our magicians back home do. Is he even a real magician? 
He's very, very frustrated. And if I'm going to get in any kind of water, our waters are superior to the waters of Israel. I don't bathe in Israel waters. He's like, everything is dumb. I'm not doing any of this. I'm going home. (laughs) By the way, I'm so glad Elisha wasn't here. Because we know Elisha enough to know how spicy that dude was. And uh, if he was here, I imagine... (laughs) Oh, man, Naaman would be like, I'm not doing it. I'm going home. And I can imagine Elisha saying to him, You do you, (laughs) boo-boo. Okay. I'm sorry. God wasn't needing to heal somebody today. The Jordan River will be fine. God will be fine. I'm going to sleep fine tonight. How about you, boo-boo? I cannot even imagine. You don't have to do any of this. And also, you don't have to be healed. It's up to you. This is so much like me and, and church people sometimes, right? We sabotage the work God wants to do in our lives because we're offended. By how I felt treated. How this made me look in front of people. What this requires of me. Some of you are naming right now. The impossible thing that you've been praying for is being held up by the thing you are too triggered to do. And you are sabotaging your own miracle. And according to Naaman, some signs of sabotage are lingering offenses. The grudge over how someone treated you that you've held on to. You felt dissed, missed, or dismissed, whatever the feeling was. And now you're holding on to a grudge. And you're so busy, by the way, nursing and navigating that grudge, which is one of the reasons, like, I would go to that event, but I think they may be there. And then, so, oh, uh, yeah, I know the Lord is wanting me to go back to church, but you know, what if they go to that church and then, mm, so um, I'm going to, I don't want to run into these people. I don't want to see these people. When God is saying, yeah, but I want you to take steps towards making things right with them. Oh, No. People come to me. People say sorry to me. I don't say sorry to people. And Elisha will pop out out of the bushes and say, you do you, boo-boo. Whenever God invites you to something, it's not for his benefit. It's for. Yours. Those church people, they offended me. I went there one time and then I went there the second time. The second time I went there, no one remembered the name of my 12 children. And that's, you know, that's it. And the pastor didn't even come to my kid's t-ball game because apparently he went to his kid's t-ball game. So that's it. I'm done with church. I don't care if the Lord says I want you to step into community. Okay, you do you, boo-boo. So 
some signs of self-sabotage, superiority complex. I work in the C-suite at my company. And they called me to serve in children's ministry? <laughs> nay, nay, glorified babysitting. I have people for this. I don't care if the Lord says to serve. <laughs> and I'm like, you do you, boo-boo. But don't be surprised if God hides your healing like on the seventh week of volunteering in kids' ministry. <laughs> You're like, uh-uh, okay. I'm too important. If I was going to serve, I would serve on the highest council of the church. Invite me to that. Like, okay. All right, Naaman. Just say. Some of you are like, no, no, no. I'm not a superior. No. Oh, yes, you are. The way you flaunt your superiority complex, though, is you say we're too busy. Oh. Yeah, too busy. You said, what, five hours a month? Mm. Don't have five hours a month. Now, I have 20 hours a month to watch reels on Instagram and watch football games, yes. But not to serve. <laughs> no, I'm too busy. Mm -mm. Um, busy just means I have important things to do. And those aren't one of them. My stuff is too important for me to do that stuff. That's what busy means. Let's just be clear. But yet if the Lord is inviting you to do that and you're like, mm-mm. Maybe for you it's the self-sabotage of comparison. When we were growing up, kids these days, right? We would never have. The church I was growing up in, the pastor would never wear khakis and sneakers because he loved Jesus, right? <laughs> All right. Go there, boo-boo. Um, sorry to the elders. I shouldn't have said that. But that's it. Whether we're comparing, no, but back in where we live or back in the day when we used to do things, it's like God is like, but I'm calling you to, to help move things forward, not to live in the reminiscing of the past. Like, mm -mm, I'm just going to keep comparing everything to everything that's not right. Or for you, it's the complaining that Naaman started to do. What is wrong with his service and what is wrong with, with them rock and roll guitars, you know, and what is wrong with the government and what is wrong with, and when people spend time with you, they hear you just, it's complaining. And I'm telling you, complaining is self-sabotaging when God says, do everything without complaining or grumbling. And you're like, no, but I have good reason to complain, so I'm going to keep complaining. And it's like, well, but the thing I'm doing is going to stand at a distance from you. Naaman, I just wonder. Maybe I'm not naming your stuff. <laughs> See what I did there. But are you sabotaging your own miracle? Because you're too triggered or too fancy or complaining. And again, the wounds may be legitimate. That's not the question. The question is, what is the invitation from God to do? Verse number 13. Naaman's servants went to him and they said, My father, 
If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? That's brilliantly insightful about our pickiness and our choosiness. Right? This is the thing we do. I'll do this, but not that. The pickiness and the choosiness. Um, I'm too fancy to do that, but I'll do this. If it's comfortable or it's convenient or it's heroic or sophisticated, I'll do that. And I love this logic. Wait, so you give a thousand dollars? Yep. But don't ask me to go up front for prayer. Mm-mm. Do you know what that would make me look like? And his buddies are like, sir, take the dip. That's, re- it's, that's really not hard. Wait, so you come to church every week. I will come to church every week and I'll sign up for every Bible study. But I will not drive to her house to say sorry. But it's a 20 second drive. But that's so much, that's not that complicated. This is the thing we do. Yeah, I will help my neighbor build a house, but don't ask me to tell them about Jesus because that might feel a little bit pushy. I will give a kidney, but don't ask me to confess the secret thing that I've been hiding that I'm not going to do. So you're willing to do this heroic thing, but not this very simple thing. Because I'm telling you, what often keeps us from what God wants to do in our lives are not complicated things. They may be uncomfortable, they may be risky, they may be messy, but they're not typically complicated. It's not something you're like, okay, now I need to learn and research how to do that. And this guy just makes it very simple for his boss. If he asked you to go to war and you'd be healed of your leprosy, would you do that? I would take out seven nations. But you won't jump in the river. And for many of us, there is that thing. I would do this, but not that. Something about this challenges um, the great man, Naaman. So he lays his pride and his rage and complaints and excuses and does what the Lord said to do. As awkward as it was. And he gets his healing. Verse 14. So. He went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I love that. This powerful man is dipping and counting and dipping and counting, probably feeling ridiculous and dipping and counting, probably feeling self-conscious, but he's dipping and counting because that's what he's been asked to do. And on the seventh dip, it's like magic. That dude didn't just come out without blotches on his skin. He came out and his skin was better than it had ever been in his life. We are talking fountain of youth Benjamin Button situation over here. Smooth skinned assassin. Because of the Jordan River? Nope. Because seven in the Bible is a number of completion and perfection. It's true, but that's not why. It's because he did the thing the Lord had asked him to do. And some of you on the verge of the Jordan on something. I don't know what it is, but I pray the Spirit will stir what that thing 
is for you. And your role may be uncomfortable and awkward and messy, but it's not complicated. Say sorry to that person with your words. Come back to community. Go to therapy. Tell someone the secret sin so they can pray for you and you can be healed. James chapter 5. Verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. And he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Church, this is the dream. This is the dream. This is why we dive into the Old Testament and we look at these stories and we ask God, what might you want to do? Because this is the dream. To see people who had no interest in the God of the universe declaring there is no other way that I can explain what just happened except your God, the God of the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well and he is the one true God. This is the dream. Unfortunately, I feel like right now in the church, there are too many explainable things happening. In fact, right now in the church, we are just mimicking each other. Well, that church does this, so we can do this too. Let's try doing that. It seemed to work for that church. And everyone is just copying each other and doing things that are explainable, which are typically things we're borrowing from the world anyway. And then we read these stories and like there are things that the world cannot mimic. There are things churches cannot imitate. It's when the power of God shows up in the lives of his people and he does impossible things that lead everyone to say, uh, there is only one explanation. Your God must be the God. That's the dream. It's not so we can be fancy people, so it can be famous people. It's so that the glory of God will be put on display in ways that honor him. Is there hunger in you to see that? God send more impossible situations into my life. And I have no idea what to do with them. I don't have the resources for them. I will look really silly if I try it and it doesn't work. But I'm not here trying to impress people. I'm too impressed to be impressive. But I'm going to ask God, would you work in this situation that you've brought into our space? And by the way, if you've never trusted the person of Jesus Christ, that is the verge on which you are standing right now. That is the Jordan. That's the Jordan for you. Leprosy in the New Testament is always a picture of sin and its effect. The way it starts really small and then it becomes all-consuming. And before we know it, we lose a sense of our feeling. And what used to bother us doesn't bother us anymore. And after a while, it ends up amputating us from God and his purpose and eternity with him. And that's why he dispatched Jesus, the awkward savior, because who does that? And here's the amazing thing. All it takes to be healed of your sin is for Jesus to wash you with his blood. Not seven times, just one time to clean you of your sin with his blood. And it is not complicated. And yet for so many of us, we've heard this. And you're like, "Mm, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go to church. Do you know how much more difficult it is for you to drive to church than to spend the rest of eternity with God in heaven? Eternity is a matter of saying, Jesus, would you just cleanse me? Would you wash me? Would you clean me? Would you forgive me of my sin? 
So I will give money to the church. I will try and fix myself. I will try and clean myself up. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Sir, it is not that complicated. Ma'am, it is not that complicated. It is just as simple as saying, Jesus, would you cleanse me? And for some of you, that is the invitation to dip in the blood of Jesus and be made whole. I'm going to say this and I'm going to get off stage. And uh, if I didn't know Elisha any better, this is a bonus for y'all. This story would end and I would be frustrated with him. Because I'd be like, uh, okay, so Naaman got healed. Why is there still a slave girl at his house? And that's something I want us to continue to wrestle through because that lingers in the story. But that situation wasn't resolved. And I hope that bothers us a, a little bit. And enough for us to say, would you bring those situations into our midst so we can put your glory and display even in that realm. Jesus, I beg you to do something great in our hearts. To reveal what it is that you want to say to us. And what it is you're calling us to do and help us to be willing to do it no matter how silly or risky or messy it is. We come to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.